You are listening to episode 56 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dean Hollingworth. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I hope everything's going well for you and you're playing a lot of tennis and improving your game. Uh, today we have a fantastic episode with Dean Hollingworth. Uh, Dean is a expert, an expert rather, at uh, fitness and how it can help your tennis game. And we're going to explore a lot of uh, different but very related topics about tennis fitness, such as working out, injuries, yeah, optimal training methods, even uh, some of his favorite exercises to implement into your training routine. Uh, plyometrics as well, and his experience at the U.S. Open as part of Elena Vesnina's team. Uh, so it's going to be a really fantastic episode today with Dean, and I uh, really appreciate you tuning in and hope you enjoy uh, the show. So without further ado, here's my interview with Dean. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to have uh, Dean Hollingworth on the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, I met Dean at the ITPA uh, conference uh, a few months ago, and he, he's just a really pleasant guy. He is an expert in his field and uh, really had a lot of fun uh, with him and Dom and the whole crew down there in Atlanta uh, in July. And so to give you some background on Dean, uh, he's got a very accomplished resume. Uh, Dean is a director of fitness and sports sports performance at uh, Club Sportif CDL uh, in Montreal, Canada. Uh, Dean has over 25 years of experience in the health and fitness industry. Uh, Dean's also a highly regarded author, speaker, and fitness and performance consultant. And he did an amazing job uh, with his uh, presentation at the uh, at the World Tennis Fitness Conference that I was at with him. Uh, Dean is actually the only strength and conditioning coach in Canada to be certified as a master tennis performance specialist by the ITPA, which is the International Tennis Performance Association. Uh, as some of you may know, I, I recently got my uh, tennis performance uh, trainer certification, but Dean is at the highest level. So it's fantastic to have him on the show. Dean is also certified strength and conditioning uh, specialist and speed and agility coach. And really impressively, he was actually, uh, he worked as the strength and fitness, or I'm sorry, strength and conditioning coach for Canada's Fed Cup team when they defeated Serbia in 2014. And as we all know, they recently won the whole thing, which is amazing. And Dean was actually at the U.S. Open on Elena uh, Vesnina's team uh, this past U.S. Open. So that's pretty cool, too. And we'll ask him about his experiences. Uh, Dean, I know that was a long introduction, but it's uh, well worth it because you have a great resume, uh, as I said. So I really appreciate you having, uh, you know, being on the show today. Maraban, thank you so much for having uh, having me. Um, thank you for the very nice introduction. And uh, I have to, I'm going to tell you, I've been excited about this all day and I've been really looking forward to sitting down and uh, talking shop with you. Sweet, sweet. I really appreciate it, Dean. Uh, I mean, I really love fitness. I love tennis. And then now we have an expert in, in both those fields. So that's really great to have you here. And so I just kind of want to illustrate for a lot of tennis players because uh, of the importance about uh, fitness and tennis, because a lot of us are kind of, you know, really focused more on technique and strategy and things like that. So sometimes uh, fitness is overlooked. But I, so I just want to ask you, you know, in your opinion, why is focusing on fitness uh, in our uh, tennis training so important to uh, the success uh, in our field? 
Well, it, there's actually many different reasons why uh, fitness training is important for the tennis players. And you, you bring up a great point that tennis players, whenever they seem to have a chance or they have extra time, the thing they want to do most is play more tennis. And what I've found is, is that with the athletes that I've worked with, is that the ones that started dedicating more time to the gym, uh, to on-court movement training, if you will, also, started developing better as athletes. I'm not even talking about tennis. I'm just talking about becoming better athletes. They became better movers, they became stronger, and they became more powerful. Now, it's my job, I feel, not to make someone a better, better tennis player, but to make them a better overall athlete. And that can, you know, as I said, that can be in movement, that can be in strength and power development. As soon as that occurs, you definitely see a rise in a person's game. Why specifically do we see a rise? Like what types of, you know, specific benefits do we get from uh, training our fitness? Yeah. Well, listen, a, a couple of things. One thing that I, you know, I do a lot of work with juniors uh, here in Montreal. So one of the things I tell them is you can have the best forehand in the world. But if you can't get to the ball, if you don't have good acceleration, if you don't have good change in development, no one's going to know how good you are if you don't get to the ball to hit it. Secondly, also, by working in the gym, we get stronger. And with strength comes more power. And through plyometric, we start developing that power. So not only do you start getting a more powerful serve, you start getting a more powerful backhand and forehand. Lastly, I think in the gym, this is where we start working on our injury prevention. Having a stronger body, a more finely tuned body makes you just more resistant to, um, to injuries, which is, you know, it's such a large part of the game now. You see so many athletes going down that uh, I'm convinced, my personal opinion is that this is where we work on our injury prevention. I totally agree, Dean. I mean, you just have to look at how many injuries there there were this year uh, of the players and the let's say the top ten uh, male players. So many people are out. You know, uh, Murray, Nishikori, and uh, Nadal just had to pull out. So it's super important, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so, kind of to go back to just your career, I'm just curious about you know how did you end up where you are today in your career as a world class uh, fitness coach? Uh, you know. Yeah, how did you get there? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks a lot for the compliment, world-class fitness coach. Um, you know, I, I've been very lucky over the years. I've been surrounded by amazing people, and it's the supporting cast that I've had around me that have really helped me achieve where I am. Every I can remember at the beginning when I was coming, when I just started as a personal trainer, if you will. I had a, I have a very close friend that I'm proud to say that I'm still friends with today, Scott Livingston that introduced me to sports-specific training at the university here in Montreal. And from there, it, it's just been people I've met along the line uh, that have been supportive. Um, my, my wanting to, to move ahead in the field, my desire for knowledge has also been very important. I've worked very hard for it also, uh, you know, attending a lot of conferences, uh, getting certifications, um, meeting other strength and conditioning coaches and, and discussing um, strength and conditioning and learning from people. Uh, without without the, the connections that you make, um, I, I don't think you can do it living in a bubble. I mean, I wouldn't have. I'm, I'm very fortunate. And lastly, um, for the last 12 years, my wife has been extremely supportive of me 
anytime I, anytime I tell her, you know, I, there's a conference, I'm going on the road with a, with an athlete. She's like, fantastic. Good for you. So, um, it's not something you do on your own. It's something, uh, that requires support and hard work. That's great, Dean. Kudos to your wife for that uh, phenomenal support. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned, you know, your thirst for learning, which is essential for success in any field. But wh- is there any particular conference that you attended or even an association that you're part of that uh, really, really helped you a, a lot in your, in your road to, you know, where you are today? Um, you know, I've, I've attended many different conferences and I, I you know, to single one out would be, um, I don't want to say unfair. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the ITPA because the ITPA is, you know, has really helped me uh, in my career in the tennis world. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I have a lot of, and when I say people surrounding me and supporting me, uh, it's ITPA, it's Mark Kovacs. It's all my friends that I've made because of this organization and this conference. Obviously, the Perform Better conferences are, are amazing. The NSCA puts on a wonderful conference. And, uh, you know, that's then the people that you meet there, then you can start following on an individual basis, like the Mike Boyles, the Mark Verstasians uh, of the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, ITPA, uh, Mark and Mary Jo are phenomenal people. They do a great job. Um, I mean, Mark has contributed to a lot of material that I've put out and I really appreciate, you know, all, everything they're doing. Uh, just great stuff. I highly encourage everybody to check ITPA out, by the way. Um, but back to, you know, your career as well, you know, what was your first exposure to tennis? <laughs> My first exposure. <laughs> it's funny you say that. And I just remember being, um, you know, a 10 year old kid at, at the local park going for lessons and, and getting lessons when I was young, um, and playing tennis at a very young age. Uh, from there, I, you know, I, I'm honest with this. I, I didn't play tennis uh, through through high school. I played football. I was big into football, and I played football into college. And then I guess my my real contact came when I was hired as um, fitness fitness and sports performance director at uh, Club CDL. And uh, Club CDL is one of the largest tennis clubs in you know Quebec in in the province of Quebec. So. I was thrown into it, quite honestly. You know, I didn't have a big tennis background at all. I played a lot of racquetball. So I had some experience with, uh, you know, racket sports, rotational power, things like that. And um, we actually had a couple of juniors that were high performing. So my original thought was, oh, it's, and I say this every time and I'm embarrassed by now, it's tennis. It's not that difficult. You know, it's not like trying to train a tennis, uh, a football player by all means, but I was completely wrong. Tennis, out of all the sports that I've worked with, tennis is by far the hardest one to prepare an athlete for. Wow. And so, I mean, obviously there's so many different strokes and things like that, which is the first thing that pops into my head as to why. But in your opinion, why is tennis the most uh, difficult uh, sport to train an an athlete in? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that tennis is a repetitive sport. And then with a repetitive sport, you get a lot of imbalances and you get a lot of, you know, repetitive stress syndromes also, you know, at, at the junior level, you see wrists and, and, and elbows and shoulders a lot of times and lower backs. And it, it's a really accumulation of, of a lot of injuries and people tend to overdo it also. You know, there's just too much time sometimes on a court and it's, it's a, it's a really an uphill battle to fight someone that's overtraining on a tennis court. 
Um, so that's one of the things. And then when you're developing a tennis player, there's just so many different facets that you have to address. I mean, you have to think of them as an overhead athlete because of the serve and smashes. You have a forehand, you have a backhand, uh, you have tons of lateral motion, you have acceleration, forward, back, court coverage, reaction to a ball. Um, and lastly, you know, cardiovascular training, which is not easy to do, if you will, considering that matches can last anywhere from an hour and a half to, you know, three, four hours. So it, it, it's quite a package to put together. And it, it's a great challenge. I, I really welcome it. Yeah, for sure, Dean. And this might be a, I'm sure it's a pretty difficult question, but just from a high level uh, perspective, like you mentioned all the different traits, the lateral movement, strength, power, uh, agility, you know, endurance. I mean, if if a player wants to, you know, get fit for tennis, but then they see all these different attributes, I mean, how do we kind of organize, you know, you know, which one to train and when, like, how do you kind of think about that? <laughs> yeah, that's not a broad question at all, but <laughs> You know, it, it, we laugh about it, but it, it's actually quite simple. And you, you have to be able to organize your time properly. And there's certain times when you should train various components of fitness, no matter what sport you're playing. So what I, you know, I just came back from the Tennis Congress and I was talking about how to enhance your movement. So I was telling them, you know, I'm a big firm believer, warm up. You have to do, you have to do your warm up. After your warm up, just give me 10, 15 minutes of some type of movement drills. You know, work on work on that first step movement. Work on that first step explosivity. Work on your change of direction. Let it be part of your warm-up prior to getting onto court. Okay, you're priming your body. It's really great. And then, you know, after practice, if you have an extra 30 minutes, go into the gym and do, do a weight training program that is specifically designed for a tennis player. And also for your body, for what you need, because two people, as we know, two people aren't in the same. And then, you know, a couple of times a week, kicking some interval training. I think you got everything pretty well covered. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Great insight into it. And, and you know, I guess uh, I had this question in my head to ask later, but I'm going to ask it now. Um, I've always been interested in the principle of uh, undulating periodization. So I guess... You know, that's training like multiple different uh, attributes at in the same, you know, week at the same time rather than periodization, which is you train like one attribute for several weeks. It, mm -hmm. Do you ever implement undulating periodization into your athletes training or do you kind of follow the more traditional periodization? Well, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that especially in the tennis world, uh, you need to be training everything all the time, if you will. Mm. Because you really don't have those two, th you know, you look at the, you look at the NHL, the NFL, they got a few months off where you could really focus on things, you know, get strong and just get strong. Mm -hmm. Tennis players, I mean, they have three, four weeks at best. And then during the season, uh, it's really difficult to do. I mean, to really put a month aside to train during the season. So having said all that, um, Yes, I, I do put a form of that type of training in. Um, I'm not sure I feel comfortable all the time with an athlete doing heavy, heavy lifts of one or two reps, three rep maximums, uh, unless the, the, the athlete, the tennis player themselves is very, um, is a veteran, if you will, of weight training and, and being in the gym. That's something you can get away with. 
Um, but it's not something I'd want to, you know, someone that doesn't have a, many years of experience uh, in the gym doing. Uh, that, that would just make me a little nervous. And I don't think, and no athlete wants to be sore after their training, especially the week of a tournament. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of uh, sense, Dean. Um, yeah, I just was, you know, thinking about that because, um, you know, sometimes I mean, in the winter, it's a good time to build the strength up or hypertrophy. But then, like you said, for the rest of the season, I mean, there's, uh, you, you're playing all the time and, you know, maybe it's best to keep every, the level of every different attribute up. So very interesting. Can I add to that? Yeah, sure. Because, yeah. Um, you know, I think something is, you know, when, when you look at an overall yearly plan, you have to decide when you want to peak, you know, and I know tennis players want to get as many points as they can. But at a certain point, you, you know, the training has to continue also. You have to, you know, put the hours in. Even if you have a tournament coming up, not you may be taking away from, from your overall goal if it's always like, well, we're just going to maintain this week. And I think it's important that at certain times that you say, okay, I'm going to – like when we were at the ITPA, Mark had that uh, professional tennis player um, speaking. I forget his name. Riley um, Opelka? R- Riley, yeah. And what, one of the things he said, and it, it really stuck with me was – he goes, I've learned to train, you know, even during tournaments. Mm-hmm. So he would work out and then play the next day. Now, I'm sure he's not killing himself where he can't walk, but, you know, still maintaining that, I'm sure at the end of the season really pays off for his overall athletic attributes. Yeah, super important. I appreciate you saying that as well. That That's definitely true. And so, you know, when you see tennis players in the gym, whether you're training them or maybe you're just observing casually, uh, can you name a couple of the biggest mistakes that you see you know, players like us making in the gym? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, some of the biggest mistakes. You know, one thing that comes to mind is that when you're working with any athlete and, you know, you hear about an athlete an athlete being made, you know, all the muscles for an athlete essentially are in the back. You know, it's like an athlete with no butt, you know, is not much of a, of, of a power athlete type of thing. And, you know, I see sometimes too much muscle development, you know, trying to work out more for a beach than for, for, for athletics. That's one of the things I think, you know, you really have to be uh, very conscientious and you have to pay attention to your posterior chain and, um, you know, doing things, I, I'm a, it's a big pet, pet peeve, but I'm a big stickler for perfect form. And I think sometimes that, you know, people get in, they just want to do and get out as quickly as possible. And I think, you know, that's where injuries occurs when you're not paying attention and just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah, it's a great point, Dean. I mean, I read, uh, the health and fitness, uh, uh, forum within tennis warehouse today. And then the guy said, Oh, like, here's the workout I'm doing. And it was like a hundred sit-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 pull-ups or something like that. And, and he was like, is this good? And you know, the first thing is, you know, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Right. Like, what is this going to do for you? So, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, we, we should, we got to go in there with a, a goal specific to how we want to improve our, uh, you know, tennis skills and things like that and our bodies to help us play better. So, um, yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, it's kind of a different question for you, but what's your favorite thing uh, about being a tennis fitness coach? I, you know, the, my, my, my biggest joy coaching uh, 
tennis players, any athlete is when I'm able to help somebody achieve something a, they thought was not possible um, or B watching them do something and being able to do it. You know, if it's been, you know, their, their lateral motions got better or their, their speed developments got better. And that's that, that original smile you see on their face of, of joy and contentment that they've been able to do it and they've achieved something. I mean, to me, that's just, it's, it's really, it's amazing. I just love watching that helping other people achieve things that they weren't able, thought they weren't able to do is just amazing. That's fantastic, Dean. Um, and so you mentioned at the top of the show, um, you know, obviously how important tennis uh, fitness is to our tennis game. Can you think of uh, maybe a particular example for us uh, uh, regarding like a, a player that you coached and you focused on his or her fitness and then that showed, you know, a lot of gains, you know, uh, in results and whatnot over time? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy and I'm proud to say that most of the athletes that I've worked with, most of the tennis players I've worked with, and there's a couple of high professional ones that I've worked with where I've come in, uh, established a, a speed or an acceleration development uh, program for them to try and make them stronger, uh, more powerful and faster. And I'm telling you, you know, within three to four weeks, started seeing some very, very strong gains from the from the tennis player. So, you know, especially it helps, especially if the player's never done the weight training before. I mean, that's one of the things. A lot of the athletes, a lot of tennis players that I've met have not really dove into uh, fitness training, weight training, whatever you want to call it, uh, to the most of their ability. So once they do that, and if the athlete has a thirst, uh, A, for, for good work and for knowledge and wants to learn, um, you know, Ceiling's the limit for sure. I mean, sky's the limit. It's, it's no problem to get them better. That that makes my job easier. For sure, Dean. And, you know, obviously there are a lot of tennis players who are even scared to weight train. And I think I remember some people mentioning that, oh, you know, Michael Chang, like he, he lifted weights and look what happened to him and stuff like that. So could you kind of, you know, dispel this sort of myth about, you know, that weight training will somehow mess up your game? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, Again, I think it comes down to this. You train for the sport. And I think a lot of times it's like that program you just mentioned to me. They're the 100 push-ups, the 100 sit-ups. I mean, that's not for a tennis player whatsoever. You know, you develop the program, <clears throat> pardon me, for the athlete. You're going to get a better athlete for that sport. Now, if you give them a program that's a CrossFit or that's a bodybuilding type of program, of course, you're going to get negative results because you're not training for the specific, you know, sport. And in this case, tennis. Um, the other thing is, is that, you know, oh, you lift weights, uh, you become too tight, you become muscle bound, you're not able to to move as well. It's, you know, it's not true. You look at some of the greatest athletes in the world and I mean, they're pretty jacked, right? And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's my biggest myth that I think that is out there is that it's just going to make you too big and it's going to happen your game, but it's, it's not true. And I appreciate that explanation, uh, Dean. And so can I, can, well, I'm sorry, one last thing about weight training, because when, when, when you were talking about it, my first thought was juniors also and on how people, Oh, you shouldn't train, you know, juniors in the gym too young and those type of things. And, you know, I listen, 
kids can grab some weights. I'm not talking like 30, 40, 50 pounds, but you know, some, some light dumbbells, some tubing, some elastics, starting to learn like rowing motions, lunges, squatting. These, these are all prime movements that we have to learn. And, and the sooner you can start developing these principal movements, the, the better you're going to be at the long run. So if you wait too long uh, and you become an older, older uh, junior player and by the age of 14, 15, you haven't really a worked with a, with a trainer in the gym, you haven't worked on your movement, it's going to be really hard to make you a better mover when you turn 16, 17. Right, right. No, I totally agree with that, Dean. Obviously, you know, everybody's different, as you mentioned, so everybody has a different focus and stuff. But in all your trainings of uh, great players and elite players, um, is there one particular part of the body that you find is maybe the most deficient or the uh, one part of the body that you end up working out the most to improve? Yeah, um, I, I think for myself personally, uh, sh- shoulder is a big problem. Um, and it's not just due to lack of, of strength of the shoulder. I think the way we are today in society, everything is forward. You drive, your shoulders go forward. You sit in a chair, your shoulders are slumping forward. Especially kids nowadays on their phones, their Game Boys, all these, you know, the, the Nintendos, all these things. Even right here, you and I talking, uh, you know, I'm leaning towards the computer. So... Uh, yeah. So, you know, I've, I've just sat up tall here, so I'm getting a little better with it. So my, my message here, and I think this is really important, that you can come in and you can work with me and we can work on that shoulder for one hour. But that's one hour of, out of 23 hours. What are you doing the rest of the day? And the more you can be perfect off the court, sitting at home in the couch, sitting in the car, in school, whatever it is, and having better posture, I think you're just saving yourself, um, you know, some hardship down down the line. Yeah, no, that's just great advice, uh, Dean. And um, also curious about your take on, uh, you know, the big lifts. I mean, do you generally have your players? Because, I mean, I'll be honest, obviously, I, I love squats. I love deadlifts. You know, I love bench press and whatnot. But do you have most of your athletes doing these sorts of things, like at least in the strength phase or hypertrophy phase? Or does it depend on kind of, you know, who you're training? Um, I, I have a formula that I follow. Um, you know, any of, uh, any of the athletes that come see me, I, I'll start with a squat or, you know, a split squat, um, and work, work on, you know, starting to get that hinge, you know, for a deadlift. Um, but then I think it's really important that one of the things I like to preach, especially specifically for tennis training or any athlete, I should say is single leg training. I, I think that's important. I mean, we're rarely on two feet. I mean, when you're waiting for serve, you're on two feet, but it's usually off of one foot to the other. So I would say something like reverse lunges, a Bulgarian split squat, a one leg RDL, things like that, I think are, are very valuable and, and will a lot of bang for the buck on top of that. And, you know, I don't, I don't, you can do that at any time of the, I do that at any time of year. I mean, you have to train single leg. I, I don't see any way around that. Yeah, that's a fantastic point, Dean. I mean, I've experienced, you know, uh, 
imbalances in my my legs and, and body and i've actually recently been doing a lot more uh, civil leg training too and i've mm-hmm. i've seen a huge difference because it's training both legs to be strong and you know like you mentioned think of all the shots that you're hitting like you know running forehands and things like that you're on one leg all the time so definitely uh, helps stabilize and, and helps you hit stronger um you know maraban sorry but that yeah. also goes for the upper body yeah. because i see a lot of like pull downs using two hands and rowing using two hands. And once you, once you make a tennis player go from just using one hand to, you know, from two hands to one hand, you'll definitely notice their dominant side is dominant. So in terms of, of strength, you have one side that's much more stronger than the other. And one of the things you really don't want in an athlete is having an imbalance because it's great to be weak on both sides, but it's not to be, it's not great at all to be strong on one side and weak on the other because that now you're just asking for, for trouble. So I, I think, you know, if it's single leg training for the lower body or a one arm row or a one arm press or something for the upper body, a push and a pull, uh, that's the way to go if you can. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Dean. And, you know, when you said that, I kind of thought about the two handed backhand and, um, you know, especially for players who are much stronger on the right side. I mean, it, it's possible at least that maybe you're the lack of strength on the left side could contribute to not as optimal a backhand because obviously like ideally you want to use more of the left hand on that your left arm and things like that. Um, yes. So yeah, that's a great point with the upper body uh, imbalancing, uh, you know, single training as well. Um, and so this is also, I guess, a tough question, but I mean, in general, you know, how many days do you have your athletes train and what considerations do you think about when you plan for how many days uh, to have your athletes train? Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, with our junior athletes, they come to the club five days a week. So they train five days a week and uh, normally play once on the weekend. You definitely need at least one day off. Um, you know, the amount and again, it always depends. I mean, that, that always comes up. It depends because when you're traveling and you're going from tournament to tournament, there's a difference between losing in the quarters or the semis or losing in the first round and losing in the first round to me means, okay, we hit the gym hard and we really get this going where when you lose later on in a, in a, in a competition, in a tournament, uh, you know, you don't have that luxury as much. So, because you're playing every day unless it's a slam, right? So, um, I, I like training speed, you know, at least four times a week. And when I say training speed, I'm not talking about going out there for an hour. Uh, speed training should be really, uh, well focused, well designed, uh, to the point, get in and get out. That's it. You know, uh, I don't think you can train speed for an hour. A, the concentration that goes with it is very great and B you're going to tire yourself out. And as soon as you become tired, then you're not truly training that speed power aspect. And then the weight room, depending on how you organize your weight training. I mean, if you want to do a full body, you know, workout in one day, or you want to break it up in, in some way, you, you know, you're looking at three to four times a week. Gotcha. In gotcha. the gym. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Now that's great. I appreciate that. And, you know, as far as, um, like training on the road, can you give us a couple of maybe your, your like favorite, 
like pieces of equipment that, you know, maybe can really aid us, especially if there's like no gyms around or maybe some ITF players going to like, you know, crazy country with nothing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you say that and I've been in situations where I'll never forget. um, We were in California somewhere and I don't remember where I think it was during the world team tennis and we show up to the hotel and we're like, where's the gym? And, you know, we get pointed down the hallway and we open the door and it's literally it's literally one of the hotel rooms that has a treadmill and a mat. And, and that's that's what you got for the day. You know, that's what you got for the next few days to use. So um, I do always pack, um, you know, a fair amount of equipment. I'll bring a lot of elastic bands. Mm-hmm. I will bring um a light, uh, very light med ball or small ball of some sort that we can throw around a little. Uh, a TRX, I think, is really important where you can just throw in the door and get it done. Um, you know, after that, if, if you have different levels of resistance for your tubing, you can pretty much do anything you want with it after that. Uh, you know, bring a ladder, some ankle bands you know like that you put around the ankles and knees and stuff like that and that's pretty much my bag that that i bring with me a crazy ball is good to have too for movement drills cones and stuff like that awesome yeah that's great dean and actually that brings to mind you know obviously dominic king who's a friend of ours and he, he yeah. did a great job as well on uh on training on the road uh back at the the conference we were at so that's great. Um, you know, our audience loves specifics and things like that. So and exercises. So I was wondering if you could give us maybe a couple exercises regarding the speed training that you mentioned where we just want to train, you know, uh, you know, not an hour, maybe like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or whatnot. Yeah. What, what are a couple exercises that you really like? Well, you know, I, I do, I do, um, I do set up my, my speed training in a specific way. So I, I like doing, you know, I will do something during the course of a day, you know, once I've been with an athlete for a while and they've known the exercises. So, you know, I think a wall drill is really good for not, not the acceleration, but to teach the athlete the postural lean that they should be during acceleration. Um, you know, the, the lean fall start type of drill where you're, you're a straight body, you lean over and you, and you go in. I like that. I like it also as a coach holding the athlete back and and having them drive into you and then getting out of the way and letting them accelerate. Um, Half kneeling starts, I think are great to generate power off the ground and teaching the athlete how to be explosive. And then my favorite thing that, that I really uh, enjoy doing and the junior athletes really enjoy it also is any type of resisted type of uh, sprint training is always pretty, uh, is, is a lot of fun to do too. You know, giving them enough rest in between is, is important. I definitely have to point that out because you really get gas doing, doing it. But, um, yeah, the resisted sprints is, are, are awesome for, this is all linear, obviously. Oh, that's fantastic, Dean. Thanks so much for that. And so as far as, um, I, I know, you know, each drill is different, but as far as like maybe amount of time for like these, these sorts of, uh, drills, uh, like how many, seconds maybe like ballpark are we looking at before they stop that particular rep oh okay so the way i i usually put um, i usually do it in terms of distance so you know if you're if you're a young tennis uh, fitness coach uh, what i always say to, to people is you have to think in terms of tennis to have a tennis player sprint a 40 yard sprint or a dash, you know, uh, like they do in the NFL when they measure it, it really doesn't make any sense because the tennis player will never run that far. 
But what you want to do is I usually work anywhere between 10 and 20, 20 meters. That's where I'm working at with the emphasis on the first three to four steps. Because let's be honest, if, if you're not quick at the beginning, if we can't get great acceleration at the bay, most players will not find enough acceleration to make up that, you know, that delay at the beginning at the end. So uh, we really focus at the beginning, uh, running 10 to 20 meters and then giving, you know, sufficient amount of rest. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sweet, Dean. So, Dean, you know, one thing that you presented on, uh, you know, at the World Tennis Fitness Conference in July uh, was plyometrics. I really enjoyed that session a lot. And can you kind of, you know, introduce the audience uh, for many of us who don't know uh, about plyometrics, you know, what that is and what the goal of plyometrics is? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, as I said at the ITPA uh, conference, um, it's unfortunate this is, you know, there's no visual with this. But one of the best um, demonstrations I ever had of what is a plyometric was was done many, many years ago by Mark Prestation, where, you know, he told you to put a hand on your chest, put your left hand on your right chest and try and hit yourself with your index finger. And you can only really develop so much strength and power. Um, But now if you take your right hand and you pull that left index finger back, you know, you could probably hear that snap. Well, that's that's what it is. It's an eccentric movement with that, you know, pulling the finger back builds up an energy in uh, stored energy in your muscles, in your tendons and releasing it quickly with the concentric reaction is a plyometric and plyometrics are fantastic to help an athlete develop more speed and better power. Having said that, we often, <clears throat> pardon me, we often think of plyometrics as such for power and speed development. But something that I really am a firm believer about, and it's been shown, that plyometrics are extremely important, A, for change of direction. Because if you think about it, when you get to the outside of a court and you plant, let's say I'm moving right and I plant my right leg and I want to start coming back to center, I have to go into that eccentric motion. So that's your deceleration. And then with a quick, you know, pop back to center, there's my concentric, and I run back to, to, to the center of the court. So that's the plyometric there. The other area that plyometrics are extremely important is for injury prevention, uh, especially when you're doing hops. So hops is, you know, the definition of a hop is on one leg, you know, jumping on your left leg only. So if you're hopping or bounding, left to right bounding, then you're really teaching your knee how to stabilize, how to you draw in the ground, how you absorb the ground, and how you stabilize that knee. I mean, it's really important. Um, as I said during my, my lecture also, you see women are six to seven times more likely of having a non-contact injury more than men for ACL tears. So, uh, you know, whether you're a male or a female, uh, everybody should be doing them. And I, the 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 advantage or the the bonus of doing plyometrics is not just better speed development and better change of direction, but more importantly, I mean, let's face it, injury prevention is is the number one thing. That's awesome, Dean. And so, obviously, we talked about speed training, and and plyometrics is is huge on uh, developing speed. Do you usually have plyometrics as as a separate session, or do you kind of integrate like some plyometrics with other different speed work? Oh, that's a great, oh, great question. Yes, I try. Um, yeah, no, that, that's that's uh, that's that's a that's a brilliant question. 
And the answer to that is yes. And the reason why it's yes is that with athletes um, that are just learning out, I think one of the areas where people go wrong is that we don't teach plyometrics properly. Um, a lot of times our athletes are just, okay, jump on the box. But uh, they're, they don't know how to land because, you know, if you go up, you got to come down. Uh, they don't know how to take off. <clears throat> In a lot of cases, uh, the athletes' bodies aren't ready for, for a jump. I mean, imagine this. You're asking your athlete to do a squat jump and you can't squat. So where do you go from there? So I think teaching the, the plyometrics is extremely important first. And once they start developing, then you can start putting them into your drills and not having to have it as a session on its own. So an example of that would be I could do a lateral bound to the left and then, you know, jump right back towards the right and then go into a sprint and then perform another one going back the other way or something like that where you start combining your bounding, your jumping with the movement exercises themselves. And um, lastly, plyometrics, I mean, any type of med ball throws also on the court, I think are extremely beneficial where, you know, that just translates really, really nicely. That's great, Dean. And so I remember this question being asked, you know, during your session, but uh, how should we land? Like, let's say from a box jump, I mean, what type of, you know, is it super soft or like, you know, the same way you went up or how, how would you land? Okay. So when you take the way you land should look exactly like the way you took off. So you don't want to go down too far. Like you don't want to go into a full squat because that just kind of eliminates the amount of energy or negates the amount of energy that's stored, you know, in your muscles, in your tendons. So it's almost a little more like a quarter squat. You take off and you want to land softly. I mean, you, you hear some, some athletes, uh, when they land, it's just, you know, like they're trying to break the ground type of thing. You want to absorb the ground. You want your, your body to act like a shock absorber and just land in the same position that you took off. Gotcha. Well, that's great. And so obviously we've mentioned the box jumps and a couple of things, but what, you know, again, to the exercises question, if you don't mind, but what are uh, a couple basic plyometric drills that you think beginners or that you have your beginner plyometric students uh, start off with usually? Yeah. Um, so the first thing we do is I have them stand on their tippy toes as high as they can on their toes and they reach up with their hands up towards the ceiling and I'll say go and I'll just ask them to boom land in a beautiful position. Beautiful position means great, great knee, knee and shin angles, hip angle, uh, chest up, you know, shoulders down and back, the, the back not rounded and the body not, uh, you know, collapsing in two. Once they're able to do that, then what I have them do is I actually have them step off the box and learn how to land from, you know, uh, 36, 36 inches and, and teach them how to land. And then from there, we start jumping onto a box. So a box jump would be good. So you, one of the things that uh, often is forgotten is that people just jump from two feet to two feet all, all the same time. You know, like the box is in front of you and I jump straight up onto it. But you can jump from one leg to two legs. You can jump from one leg two legs to one leg and land on the box, I can actually turn and face away from the box with my shoulder, my right shoulder facing the box. And I can come up and I can do like a quarter turn or I can not be facing the box and have the box at my back and also jump and do, you know, if you will, a 180 
and land on the box. And now as we start doing these types of plyometrics, now we're starting to get extremely tennis specific or rotational type of sports specific where you have to start teaching your body to generate power but also rotate at the same time. Um, from there, then you could start using hurdles, you know, to jump laterally also. Today we did that exactly in our training session uh, with the juniors where, you know, they jumped, they hop, it was a hop, uh, laterally over hurdles going from left to right on their right leg. And then they did it on their left because it's completely different. Very nice, Dean. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that, that was it. I said, so that that's that that's the beginning. I mean, uh, there's an infinite number of plyometrics that you can use and there's an infinite different ways that you can use it. Uh, you know, you start getting into more advanced stuff like depth jumps and, and things like that where it becomes really um, high-end stuff. Right. And so, you know, sometimes I see at the gym, uh, you know, people doing like a set of like 40 box jumps and stuff. But as we mentioned for like the power uh, for tennis, you know, we want to keep it low. So is this also a situation where we want to keep it down to maybe like six or seven reps a set or like what do you usually recommend for like box jumps and stuff? Well, that, you know, uh, that's a great point because once you start getting into this high range of reps for, for, for power, it's no longer power. It's more of an aerobics class or, or a type of uh, CrossFit training type of thing. Um, power to me, I would n never, I rarely go over 10 reps, mm. you know, but that's only because we started at six, seven reps and we built it up and, and the athlete, the tennis player is starting to become used to the exercise and has developed that endurance power to be able to continue doing it. If you start noticing that the athlete, the, the tennis player, is no longer able to, to jump the same height or distance, then you're not really having the benefit of the exercise by not the, you're not developing power anymore. It's more of an endurance thing. So as soon as there's a decrease in power output, like a, you know, a noticeable difference, the, the, the exercise ends, or if the athlete isn't able to maintain proper position anymore, uh, landing or takeoff, the, the exercise will end. Gotcha, Dean. So, you know, just, I guess, wrapping up plyometrics, plyometrics, excuse me, at least for now, like what are, one or two key principles that we really need to remember when we're doing plyometrics to do it properly? I think, you know, the first thing that comes to mind, and it's because you see this so often on YouTube and all these social media outlets now, is, you know, guys and uh, women jumping onto these boxes that are like up to the ceiling and, and performing more of a great hip mobility exercise than actually, you know, worrying about the power. The box is not, you know, the box is there so you don't have to land the full length of the landing. You know, it cuts your landing in half, hopefully, type of thing. And um, having said that is, is that even sometimes when the box might not be too high for the athlete, you have to really pay attention to, to their lower body or their head, if you will. There has to be a movement. That, that, that belly button has to come up and down. That head has to move up and down. Yeah, I want coaches to make sure that they're not just jumping onto the box and actually not getting any type of height. You know, you want that explosiveness. And I, I think with plyometric, the cues that you use are so important. You know, it's not just, okay, jump. You know, it's 
drive through the ground, explode up like, like, a, like a rocket, you know, take off, use powerful words that will motivate, energize your athlete. Yeah, that's a great point, Dean. I mean, obviously, you know, jumping three feet onto or 10 feet onto a box or whatever isn't sport specific for tennis anyway. Uh, but, um, you know, one question I have for you, which I kind of ponder sometimes, so it's a selfish one, but let's say if an athlete is, uh, you know, say they're deficient in their hip mobility or something like that. So then you increase, uh, you know, that in the training. Once they get up to a, a, a good level in that, do you continue? that same amount of focus on, on that particular deficiency once they've caught up, you know, just to make sure like, you know, it doesn't go back down or do you kind of like level it off and then, you know, focus on something else? Yeah. Very, very good. And, and, um, interesting question. You know, when you start noticing that, uh, your athlete starts having some type of imbalance and I think, as coaches, I'm just going to get off track here just slightly, but as coaches, you know, I think that's why paying attention during the warm up with your athlete is so important because you, you start seeing, oh, he's, he or she's not doing that the same way they were doing it a month ago. So, you know, red flags can come up during the warm up where you can start catching things, <clears throat> testing your athletes, um, you know, from time to time also. Uh, with whatever testing methods you have. I don't mean, uh, not like in terms of sprinting, but you know, like something like the FMS or something I think is, is also good to see. But once you recognize and you address your issues, uh, like a type hip, for example, and you're giving more stretching on one side than the other, I think once they start balancing out, I think it's okay to go back to a more, you know, even keel type of thing. And just, just to be aware of it and, um, you know, keep, keep an eye on it and make sure it doesn't come back. Good stuff, Dean. Good stuff. And so when people are, um, uh, cooling down or whatnot, you know, when they're in their stretching, uh, static stretching after they play or work out, um, I'm just curious, like generally how many exercises or how long is that? Does that last for your athletes usually? Well, the, how long it, I want it to last and how long it lasts <laughs> are usually two different uh, questions, uh, answers, I should say. Um, and the interesting thing is, is uh, usually with the professional athletes, they spend a lot more time and are more diligent about their recovery. And it's something the juniors, I wish, would take a little more seriously. Uh, this year, we did implement... Um, a couple of times a week where the group will stretch together as a whole. Um, because we know if you say goodbye, a lot of them are out the door as quickly as possible or, you know, talking with the friends and things like that. So to get to your question, um, if, if for some reason I can get some foam rolling in at the end, I mean, that's a win, win, win. I, I would love that. And then I'm going to say 10 minutes. I think 10 minutes is being really, um, yeah, really pushing it. 15 would be fantastic. Gotcha, Dean. Gotcha. So let's say for, for the, for those of us, excuse me, who are deficient in our endurance, um, you know, if we were to go to you, um, is there a particular, you know, cause there's different kinds, obviously like, you know, circuits or MK drill, but is there something, uh, some sort of program that you would prescribe to us, uh, uh, to improve our endurance or any suggestions? Well, that's a good question. So if you came to me, you said you wanted that, I would ask you, first of all, to be more specific in what you meant by your endurance. Do you mean like you get tired by the third set? 
Do you, are you, you know, is it the way you're moving? What is it? What is it that's getting tired is what I'm asking. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I would probably for this example, at least say, uh, I get winded, you know, during long, long points. You get winded during long points. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I would look at two things because I think it's important to remember that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about cardiovascular training, we always think, or not always, but we often think like, okay, we do some type of cardiovascular training at the end of training, you know, whether it's sprints or getting on a Versa climber or, or a bike or whatever and doing interval training. I think as tennis players, I think your, your, um, your tennis practice has to be organized in a way also that it's challenging uh, cardiovascularly. Uh, if it isn't, I mean, that's where the majority of the work comes from. If you're on a court for two hours, you're hoping that you're getting some type of cardiovascular benefit from it. If you came to me, I would definitely say that we should start doing some type of, of you know, interval training would definitely be the way to go for that. That, that would be my thing. Gotcha, Dean. I appreciate that. One other thing, another selfish question, um, you know, let's say uh, for players who, uh, you know, they, they do like the big lifts, uh, deadlifts and squats and stuff. Is that something that you're, you generally have them do uh, all, all year round for the most part? Or, I mean, obviously with the exception of when you have tournaments and stuff, but, or do you kind of like transition them to maybe uh, uh other maybe like dumbbells or something like that. Like, do you, do you have them do these big lifts all year round? Um, you mean like squats and lunges and stuff like yeah, that? For, or, yeah. For weight, you know, squats and yeah. deadlifts and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you can do, you can do a deadlift all year round. I, I you know, it, again, it's how much are you deadlifting? I mean, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, of reps of six, eight, ten, that's no problem. Um, even, you know, if you have a lot of time, you can lift heavier. I, I, I have no problem with, with the big lifts. You know, if it's a deadlift, a, a squat, a lunge or whatever, I think those things are really, really important and are the cornerstone of all uh, programs uh, for lo- lower body movement or lo- lo- lower body training, I should say. Yeah, they're definitely incredible for strength and things like that. Well, appreciate that, Dean. Um, so as far as your experiences, I mean, you, you, I saw some pictures of you with Elena Vesnina at the US Open. I mean, just uh, great stuff. Um, I'm glad, you know, you were obviously really happy with your experience. But could you kind of talk about, uh, I guess, maybe first off, um, the professionalism that uh, pro players like uh, Elena kind of display in, in your experience? Well, I cannot speak highly enough of her, first of all. I mean, she, when we talk about professional, she's as professional as they come, um, coupled with the fact that she's just a really nice, wonderful person. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, working with her was, was easy because she's open. Uh, we had a great dialogue. I mean, I'm not there to, to tell people what to do. It's, 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 it's a team effort. You know, I'm, I'm working with her. She's working with me to get her better. So, you know, listening to her input, uh, taking everything under, under advisement, we worked, we worked really great as a team. So, um, you know, kudos to her for sure. It's fantastic. Dean. Actually, uh, you know, if you don't mind telling us, how did no. you actually, you know, get to be on her team? Cause that's <laughs> an incredible defeat. <laughs> 
Um, well, it came up uh, that uh, her her agent uh, was actually looking for a. Um, she had asked her agent that she was interested in uh, having someone uh, with her for a few weeks prior to you know get her getting her ready for the physically for the U.S. Open, and um, he actually contacted the ITPA, and um, you know I'm very thankful, Mark Doctor Mark Kovacs actually. Gave, gave me the thumbs up and I got the call and uh, before you knew it, within a week, I was with her in uh, Cincinnati. Mark's the man. He just keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, no, Mark's a phenomenal person. I mean, that's uh, that goes without saying. Yeah, yeah, and we've, we've had him on the podcast, obviously. Um, great guy. So, and also, as far as like her training during the tournament, I'm curious. Obviously, we touched on this a little bit. What what kinds of things you know was Elena doing during during the U.S. Open? During the U.S. Open, yeah, was she doing much physical training, or was it mostly just like little you know um, small stuff? Well, we would, um, you know, we we prior we got there a little early, so we had a few days before, <clears throat> excuse me, before the U.S. Open to work. So. We really worked uh, on getting her her movement a little better and getting her moving a little better on the court. Uh, prior to that, we we worked on some strength. Uh, also, um, you know, the movement and strength it, it goes hand in hand. I mean, it, it, if you don't have a strong lower body, you're not just going to move well. I mean, your legs are your brake and your accelerator. If if those aren't working, then you pretty much stay in the same place. Um, and then. A lot of focus on just, you know, the core, the shoulder and getting her body ready for, you know, what could be a very, very long tournament. That's awesome, Dean. And another question that popped up in my head is how do you decide, you know, what exercise to, to use? <laughs> because obviously there's so many different ones, different variations. Like what what's the thought process behind, you know, saying, oh, you know, somebody's legs are they seem like they're weak or whatnot or something specific to the legs. So I'm going to use X exercise. Well, the first thing, the first, the first question I ask is what is the person's experience in, in the gym and what experience have you had in, in terms of doing exercises? I mean, if you have very minimal experience, then, you know, squat, you know, a squat, a, a goblet squat is, is great. A split squat is very good. You, you know, Maribel, at the end of the day, it, it's not really, it's, it's, it's knee, it's hip hinging and, you know, the knee, the knee uh, dominant exercises that are really going to get things across. So, you know, a deadlift and a, and a squat or a, or a lunge is what does it. Awesome. Awesome. That's great insight, Dean. Appreciate that. And so I guess kind of just to recap your your US Open experience. I mean, is there, this is a tough one. Is there one memory or maybe some sort of, uh, uh, whatever, any memory that was your favorite, like why you were at the US Open, uh, on the team? Uh, um, my favorite, me- I have some memories. Um, that my mom, <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm laughing because it's not my favorite memory, but when I talk about the US Open, the first thing that comes on is that, um, Elena had to go on court at quarter to 12 at night against Madison Keys. And it didn't end until two o'clock in the morning. So, you know, God bless them both. I mean, that was quite, they put on an amazing show. It was, the weather outside was horrendous. I mean, it poured. That's why they couldn't move the courts because they played center court, right? So, you know, at least the roof was on. But um, that's a good question. I think the thing I remember the most is is that... um, 
after Elena's victory, I think it was against um, Kirsten, um, someone had taken a picture of Elena as she won. And, you know, she has both hands up and, and she, obviously she looks really happy. But what was really cool was in the background was her box. And, <laughs> and you see, like, myself, her father, her husband – and and Kirsten, her physiotherapist, and like everybody was so pumped about it. I mean, you know, you talk about an individual sport like tennis where it's really one person, but I thought that picture really captured the the spirit and the essence of the team. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that picture, and I'm saying that because I saw it. Uh, oh. <laughs> it was a very cool picture. Uh, yeah, I might have to use that for the graphic or something because it was really cool. So um, I'm really yeah. glad that you had the, those experiences that you know very very few have. So that's that's fantastic. Um, also, just want to talk about um, the tennis conference. Uh, I'm sorry, the tennis congress rather uh, mm-hmm. in Arizona that you attended recently, along with a lot of great uh, other great coaches. Um, you know, like Mark and Jeff Salzenstein and Dominic King and so forth. So kind of what you know what. What is that event all about and what uh, what sorts of things did you uh, teach over there? Yeah. You know, I thought of that immediately when you said like your favorite conference and and it's not a conference that, you know, I attend as as an attendee, but um, it, it is my favorite event conference of the year because PJ Simmons, who is just an incredible human being, um, it's a true reflection of him. And and I, I say that every time. He's just such a giving person. And everyone that goes there, the coaches, every coach there just gives so much of themselves. And the players that come are so incredible. I mean, they're so open, so receptive. They have a thirst for knowledge. And it's just such a great meshing of coaches and players that it really becomes a phenomenal weekend. So, you know, you asked what it is. It's it's really people that play, you know, tennis almost of any level at their clubs and they take tennis seriously and they want to be coached by professional coaches. So it's, it's a wonderful um, experience in Arizona at this amazing uh, resort. Uh, people come together three, four days, it's tennis all day. It's a good amount of fitness. Uh, myself, I, I worked. Uh, I was lucky enough to work with uh, Dom. We had four hours outdoors with two groups for two hours, just teaching movement training. Uh, and then the next day, I worked with Ollie Stevens and Trevor McPherson, and we we spoke. I spoke again movement training. Ollie put it all together as a coach, and Trevor spoke about. Um, uh, injury prevention and then my my favorite thing that i did was actually it was it was called uh, wake up your core with dean in the morning and it was a lot of fun where i had 30 40 people and we went uh, we t- i taught and also gave uh, you know like a core class at the same time wow that's that's really cool um yeah we were yeah. talking about it a little bit earlier and the i think the resort's el conquistador beautiful place i was there once for uh mixed doubles nationals and it was really cool and uh yeah i think alistair mccall was also there too yeah alistair was there mark okay. was there um johnny frazier i mean the list goes on it, it listen it, it, the coaches that are there are excellent coaches and wonderful people. I cannot tell you how many friendships I've made because of the Tennis Congress and also the ITPA. Yeah, kudos to PJ. I mean, he does a great job. And uh, also, I think he has a blog called On the Road to 4-5, which is really pretty uh, interesting blog as well. Um, yes. Yeah, good stuff, uh, Dean. 
And so, Dean, I mean, the the plan moving forward for you, I mean, do you plan to like work with any any professional players or anything? Or I mean, like, what's the plan for you moving forward? Well, funny you should <laughs> ask that. Um, I'm actually leaving uh, two weeks today. Um, today is uh, November fifteenth. It's a Wednesday. I'm leaving two weeks today to uh, fly to Russia. And I'm going to spend uh, three weeks with Elena, uh, helping her get ready for the Australian weekend. So we're going to have two weeks in Sochi and then a week in Moscow. So I'm busy from the 29th to the 22nd of December with her. That's incredible. I didn't even know that that was happening. Um, But that's great. And, uh, you know, will you bring back any vodka for your friends or anything? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, the the worst thing you always ask in life, the worst thing anyone can say is no. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a great experience, uh, coupled with the fact that I'm really excited that I also, um, over a little over a month ago, I did a full day of filming. Uh, where I videotaped, uh, you know, the the name of the video is going to be called your top your top eight fitness exercises for better tennis performance. So uh, the questions I've been asked over the years, the top questions that I've been asked, like how do I develop better uh, explosive, you know, first step explosivity? How do I develop a better core? Uh, all these questions are going to be addressed. Uh, it should be released around January fifteenth, uh, two thousand eighteen. And uh, I'm really excited about it. It's been a lifelong dream. It's uh, something that's come together really nicely. I'm very proud of it and uh, look forward to uh, getting it out there for everybody. Yeah, Dean, I mean, congrats on that. I saw some of the pictures that you posted, I believe, and it looks great and um, definitely going to be looking forward to to seeing that. And will you have that, you know, like on your website or will it be somewhere else, you think? No, I'm going to – it's going to be on – You'll be able to, you know, download it, uh, buy it and download it off of DeanHollingworth.com. And uh, again, hopefully by January 15th. So it's going to be different modules on different topics and there'll be PDF files that are going to come with it. So it's not just going to be video, but you also have, uh, there'll be like a training program involved if, if you want that. Uh, there'll be, uh, uh, you know, recipes, if you will, to, to follow in terms of sets and reps and everything. So it's not just like, this is the exercises. Here's the exercise and here's how you should implement it. Awesome, Dean. I love it. Um, and so as far as being able to, you know, maybe follow you like online, obviously you mentioned your website, but uh, where, you know, where else can we follow you online, maybe social or anything? Yeah. Well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Diener99 on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. It's um, DeanMTL and also on Facebook. So I'm pretty much uh, everywhere. Was Dean the Machine taken? Is that why that's <laughs> Well, I, I really wanted Mean Dean first, but uh, yeah. uh, Dean and Diener were taken. And then I, I always get asked the question like, oh, is 99 for Wayne Gretzky? And I'm like, no, no, it's just 99 was there, you know? So yeah. that was it, yeah. That's a good number. Yeah. Cool, Dean. Well, you know, one thing that I like to ask at the end of the show, uh, and it's gone by really fast, I really enjoyed it, obviously, is what's one key piece of advice that you could give our audience uh, to help them improve their tennis games. And I guess for you, obviously I would ask maybe preferably in the fitness, be in the fitness realm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, great question. Uh, two things come to mind. If, if you may, if you're a coach, I think the most important thing for me, that's really helped me develop as a coach. And I think has really helped, you know, grow my business. If you are grow, 
my my uh, my clientele or the people I work with is is that people don't care how much you know until they know you care. And it's important, I think, as a coach that you're not just looking at somebody as a dollar sign or just like, oh, here's the next hour, is you have to invest yourself in that person. And as soon as they feel that connection, anything's possible for the two of you. For the tennis players, I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but I really think it's important that tennis players play tennis to get into shape. I think play, tennis players need to get into shape to play tennis. And that means getting into gym and doing the work because let's face it, tennis is a tough sport on your body. So if you can get your body ready for the rigors of tennis, you're gonna be able to enjoy it longer and play it for longer periods of time. So again, as I had the same chat with this woman today, it, you don't have to go into the gym for an hour. If you're efficient with your workout, if you're on point, there's not a lot of socializing, 30 to 40 minutes, a couple of times a week, bang, you're, you're, you're gold. I mean, it'll get it done. It'll keep you together. I love hearing that, Dean, because, you know, a lot of players, they might think about, uh, you know, the time investment. They think, oh, you know, I've got to do it, you know, three, four times a week for an hour or something like that. And it discourages them. But I like the way you put it that, you know, it doesn't have to be tons of hours, you know, just a couple of times a week and you're going to see a huge benefit and protection, you know, from injury and things like that. So I really appreciate that, uh, Dean. Dean, I mean, I just want to thank you. This was a lot of fun. You know, oh. maybe we'll do it again, hopefully sometime oh. again. But uh, <laughs> Hey, I'm telling you, I had a great time. And like you said, I mean, the time passed by so quickly. You're a great interviewer. I want to thank you so much for having me on. I'm extremely flattered and, um, you know, honored to be on here with you. And, and you do a great job and much success in the future. Thanks, Dean. Again, you know, you really know your stuff and you're so humble and that's why uh, you're so well liked. So, um, Dean, thanks for being on and uh, we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Dean. I'm always really appreciative of uh, the fantastic experts and people who really give back to uh, the tennis community uh, like Dean with his uh, amazing knowledge on the subject of uh, tennis and fitness. And if you all would like to get a free workout sample to show you, you know, an examples of a workout you can use in your to improve your tennis game, uh, you can just go to tennisfoz.com slash workout plan to download that. That's tennisfoz.com slash workout plan. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just really appreciate you all uh, listening to the show. And if you could... Uh, hit the subscribe button on whatever uh, program you use to listen to the show uh, or app. I'd really appreciate it. And you can do that in iTunes by just going to tennisfoz.com slash iTunes and hitting the subscribe button. And so I'd like to leave you uh, with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of the show. And today's quote is by Jim Rohn. And he said, Take care of your body. It's the only place you have to live. All right, with that, uh, once again, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast, and uh, we'll see you on for the next episode. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.